0: Welcome to the Worship Place Podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Amen. I'd like to turn our attention to 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 18 through 20. Then I'm going to read from 2 Kings chapter 13. Verses 14 through 20, this I charge, or rather let me put it in the King James Version, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before concerning thee, that thou by them mightest wage a good warfare. Everybody say, good warfare. warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymaneus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Second Kings chapter number 13 verses 14 through 20 elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, "O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen." And elisha said unto him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hands on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance And the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, Take arrows. So he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Verse 20, then Elijah died, Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. That's my kind of skeleton right there. I want to teach from the subject how to fight for your prophetic destiny. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word. We thank you, precious Savior. We thank you for the power of the word of God We ask you, Lord, to anoint the word to our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you. Smile at someone and greet them. And you may be seated. I think sometimes we adopt too passive of a composure concerning the promises that God said that he would do most of us have been frustrated at one time or another with people when we read to them from Acts chapter 2, for the promise is unto you and to your children, to them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then we, we begin to try to persuade someone of the certainty with which they can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost because it's promised. And then there's a nonchalance and a kind of a laissez-faire and they reply with something like this, oh, well, when the Lord, you know, gets ready, I'm right here and I don't know what your emotional response to that is, but mine is, I've never seen anyone receive the promise of the Holy Ghost by accident. There must be a purpose, a purposefulness. you got to fight. And so if you have to fight for one prophecy... Who's to say but what you don't need to be engaged in any and all of the prophetic promises that are given, right? So I want you to think of that as we pursue some of these verses and to to pray uh, that we understand what it takes to fight a good warfare. Paul said, I have... I have fought a good fight. And a good fight is a fight that contends for our prophetic destiny. Furthermore, I think that it goes without saying that someone that is filled with faith, your future should be controlled by the faith that is inside of you. I don't know how you can have faith and have a gloomy, undefined ethereal destiny that doesn't have any markers at all of what God said he would do. By virtue of the fact that you're a person of faith, that faith that is in you should reach, how shall I say, it should throw lifelines out into the future, and you should feel the tug of the future pulling you along the way. You should have things you're believing for, for your children, for your spouse, for your career, for your future, and these things should be from time to time renewed, confirmed, or sometimes we get off track and they need to be, uh, he needs to slay some Isaacs along the way because they're, they're, they're not what God has for us. But either way, God through the power of his spirit and word is adjusting, making adjustments and we should have some things in mind. Praise God. So, uh, Elisha had become sick here in our, our one scripture. I'm gonna. We'll get to Hymenius and Alexander uh, at our conclusion. But Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash. The king of Israel came down to him and wept unto him and said something strange. Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. Now, I've, like you, have said, oh, there he goes again, not even original enough to make something up of his own, but he's quoting something that Elisha said to Elijah when he was taken up. But if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you'll find out that Joash is, in fact, the grandson of Jehu. And if anybody knows anything about Jehu, they know this, that you could tell that he had the reins of the chariot. Long before you could identify his face, you could identify his driving style. I'm not going to name any names. But there's some folks even in our church, you can tell who's behind the wheel. By the way, they pull out of the church parking lot. I'm just having fun. You can tell I'm behind the wheel. By how long it takes me to merge out into traffic out there. <coughs> but the point that I make is Jehu was a chariot driving machine. And so it's ironic that his grandson speaks to Elisha in the language of this charioteer. So I want you to, I want, it's important for us to grasp this, who Joash was, where he came from. Because what we're dealing with here is someone that's going to pursue the prophetic destiny or lose it. And a lot of it has to do with Passing the test of generational passion. I believe that Elisha expected more from the grandson of Jehu than he would from the grandson of grandson of some kind of you know neighborhood sloth. <clears throat> Does it make any sense? Just like Paul. told Timothy, I see, I perceive that the faith that was in your grandmother and that was in your mother is in you as well. You're a fighter. See, you expect more of people who grew up with a fight in their bloodline than with those that don't. And so I want to provoke you to take a passionate stance and say, I am going to fight for my future. I'm going to fight for my prophetic destiny. I'm going to reclaim the things that God has promised he would do in my life and family. Woo! Okay, so this is a test of uh, Joash, who is a victim of misdirected passion. Let me show you what I mean. And Elisha said to him, take some bow, take a bow and some arrows. So he took uh, a bow and some arrows and he said to the king of Israel, and then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it as well. He put his hand on the king's hands. And so fighting for your prophetic destiny has a lot to do with where you put your hand It's very difficult to expect God to do great things for you if you are unwilling to put your hand to His plow. So I want to ask myself when I want God to open up my future and bring great things into my tomorrow, is what is my hand? Where is my hand? Relative to the work of God today. I want to say this. I really believe this. People who engage themselves in the work of God today have a promise of a beautiful future. Because God is a debtor to no man. And if we accrue to the kingdom efforts and prayers and labors and faith and sacrifices, I believe... God's not going to let those things go unrewarded. Does anybody agree with what I'm saying here tonight? <clears throat> so where am I putting my hand? And I went, oh, so I, so I, I got, I know where I put my hand there. I put all the time, Pastor. I put my, I put my hand right on the problem. <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to put your hand on the problem. Problems are everywhere. There's a problem, and somebody's sitting probably an arm's reach away from you right now. Anybody can put their hand on the problem. What I want to know is who can put their hand on a solution. Take the bow, praise God. That's a long-range weapon of war. That's not a problem. That's a solution, praise God. Okay, I guess I'm in a parallel universe tonight. (laughs) That's the truth. So I want to know how to find what will work and put my hand on it. And then let the ministry of God's presence and the man of God and the leaders in the kingdom put their hands on my hand. Watch this. Watch where you put your hand. Secondly, Secondly, He said, open the east window, and he opened it. You can't shoot an arrow through a closed window. Oh, my God. Told you about the time I shot an arrow one time, a compound bow. I was a newlywed. My wife was standing there. The preacher said, go ahead, give it a try. Hit a bale of hay and a target. About from here to the back doors. So I pulled that thing back. Pew! I kid you not, before God and all of his angels, it hit the bullseye. I retired my archery <laughs> career that day. But you can't shoot an arrow through a closed. Window. Prove me now herewith, saith Jehovah of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. Hallelujah. It don't take much to open the portals of hell. All you got to do is lose your faith and entertain a Ouija board or go to some magic thing or, I don't know, not our kind of magic. You know what I'm saying. And you can invite all kinds of spirits into your life. But oh, to open the windows, to, to position ourselves in such a way that we live under an open heaven. Heaven's got to have to open if we're going to have a prophetic future. Heaven's going to open. You've got to shoot the arrow of destiny, of the deliverance of the Lord through the open window of faith and worship. And worship him with the preaching of the word of God. And saying hallelujah every once in a while. (laughs) And you can't pray through a closed window either, right? Then Elijah said, shoot, and he shot. And the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Shoot. I'm not cussing either. I'm not pseudo cussing either. He said shoot and he shot. The act of shooting an arrow is the art of releasing something. Your future, you want to lock up your future? Approach it like this. Look, your future is not an MMA fighter, and you're not in the octagon. That's not how you get it. The way you you secure your future is you have to do this. That's how you let an arrow go. You release it. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. That's why every time we get together, we need to take the opportunity to release in faith. Our praise, our expectation, our worship, our thanksgiving, the joy of the Lord. (coughs) Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap. Somebody release the music of worship in this house tonight. So to let an arrow go, notice two things happen. You open your fingers and the prophet opens his mouth. What is the difference between scriptural meditation and yoga meditation? A lot. but The, the Eastern, Eastern world meditators uh, work at emptying their mind and their spirit. Bad idea. Because when you sit there for 30 minutes or an hour or two completely empty, you don't know what you might be inviting into your spirit. You don't want that. Meditating biblically is to meditate upon the Word of God, to meditate upon the goodness of God, to meditate upon the promises of God. That is an empty-mindedness. That's filling your mind and your spirit and your heart with the promises of God. So watch this. You open your fingers and then you open your mouth and you guide the arrow with the words that you speak. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. For you must strike the uh, the, the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. For you must strike the enemy that is before you till you you, got, you don't just shoot. You don't just shoot with a closed mouth. God gave you the power of propositional speech unlike any other created living thing on earth because you have a voice to speak the promises of God and to declare what thus saith the Lord said in your life. I want somebody to have a conversation with your future and tell your future, thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. So have you ever, you ever? I hope you catch the metaphor of guiding your arrow, the arrow of destiny, the arrow of deliverance with the words that you speak. You shall destroy the Syrians at Aphek. You know what Aphek means? It's in Strong's Concordance, fortress. It means strength, or fortress, let your words guide the arrow of destiny into the very heart of the enemy's stronghold and overthrow him. I will not permit my future to be bound up in the control of the enemy's strength. In the name of Jesus, somebody has 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 seceded your future into the hands of a stronghold. I can't. It won't happen. It's too hard. It's too far away. It costs too much. I've tried and failed. It won't work. In the name of Jesus, somebody needs to talk to your future by faith and say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I'm repossessing everything that you stole from me. You're going to give it back. God is a gentleman. The devil is not. He's not going to give you anything because you asked for it. He's going to give it because you demanded it and because God's backing you up and he has no choice. Then he said, take arrows, and he took them, so forth. Strike the ground. Now, it's, it, really is not, it really doesn't matter whether he took the arrows and actually smote the floor or whether he actually shot out the window and shot the ground. Either way, it doesn't make any difference. He stopped short, and it made the prophet angry. He said, Joash stopped at the third try, and Elisha said, you should have smote it five or six times. Well, where did the five or six come from? In my opinion, it must have come from the amount of arrows that was in the quiver. Shoot till you got no more ammo. Oh, my. So I'm going to hold back this Wednesday night. I'll just, you know, you know, what the devil tried to tell me, said, you got a really good message, and there's going to be a lot of sickness in the church. It's going to be a smaller crowd. My, a lot of my family's sick. And so why don't you save it for Sunday? And I said, God, you know the deal I made with you. When you put some ammo in my hand, I don't put it in the storage. I take it and use it. Come on, son. Don't hold back. Do you have a prayer? Pray it. Do you have a confession? Say it. Hallelujah. Claim it. Oh, God, in Jesus' name. Yeah. Shoot it all. Shoot it all. When it's done, you got nothing left. What you'll find out is when you dig back into the meal barrel tomorrow, there'll be something that showed up. Someone said if you, don't, if you don't use it, you lose it, and that is the way in the kingdom of God. You want love? Give love away. You want money? Give money. You want friends? Make friends. Oh, hallelujah. All right, so here it is. This is what made him so mad. Okay, number one, that he had some arrows in reserve. Secondly, where he came from. This is Jehu's grandson. Where is your generational zeal? You can't have a generational victory until you reclaim generational zeal. I don't want just a victory in my lifetime. I want one that lasts for my children and for my grandchildren and for my grandchildren's children in the name of Jesus. But i got to tap into the source. I came from a passion, and I came from zeal, and I've got to re-enter that in order to get the future secure for tomorrow in the name of Jesus come on come on it's not funny when we laugh about how excited we were as new converts where did all of that fire go somebody needs to call the fire back so God eventually delivered them into the hands of their enemies again and Elisha died of the sickness wherein he would die from. They buried him. And then they, the raiders came. They're not the Oakland raiders. I don't know who the raiders belong to anymore. Now those raiders may be playing soon. My brother knows if they're here, where they are. Where? Vegas. Vegas. They must be kids of mafiosos. I don't know. But anyway. The raiders came, like they always do, when someone doesn't claim a destiny. You can't just leave your future to chance. Cause the enemy looks for gaps. And here they come. And they're barons, they got some cadaver. The vice undone identified. We don't have a name, but they just know they got they're digging a grave for him. Lo and behold, here comes trouble. You know, the first one they drop, when trouble comes, the dead ones. <laughs> That's why you don't want to be dead in the church. And so they just shoved him in a hole. Lo and behold, it was a hole in one because they picked the grave of Elisha. And the Bible said when that man's bones, when that man's body touched that prophet's bones, he jumped to his feet and sprang to life again. Watch this. The bones of Elisha did more to move a corpse than the words of Elisha did in the ears of a king. Imagine what Joash could have done with Elisha's words and instructions if he'd just heeded them. You can kill a prophet, but you can't kill a prophecy. Don't let the devil take what God said is yours. So Paul's hope in Timothy was, here's another third generation firebrand. I remember the faith that was in your grandmama and the faith that was in your mama, and that same thing is in you. Just keep it stirred up, Timothy, because I want you to war a good warfare, and I want you to fight for the prophecies that were given to you. I charge and commit to you, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before concerning you, that you will by them might fight a good warfare. Don't let your future go. Don't let it just go to chance. Take authority. Pray it through. See it come to pass. And then he gives the counterexample, and I stop with this. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, made shipwreck. You know, the Bible doesn't make public examples out of very many people and call them by name. It does it does here. And it says, Of whom is Hymeneus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they might not they may learn not to blaspheme. Now I want you to notice the context. The context is Timothy, fight the good warfare and battle for the prophecies that went over you. I don't want you to become like Hymeneus and Alexander. So they're in the same context. So whatever happened with them, they refused to fight for their future. And because they refused to fight for their future, watch this, they suffered Shipwreck. When you go out to sea, you have to have a map, you have to have a compass, you have to have a GPS, you have to have a plan. You don't just set sail and turn your vessel loose to the winds and just let it go. You know where you're going to end up? In a shipwreck. This is the way Paul is teaching Timothy. It's like taking a journey across an ocean. You've got to stay in control of where you're going unless you end up. If you don't, all right, who was was Hymenius? I don't know. Who Alexander might have been? Well, there was one Alexander in Ephesus. Who was Alexander from Ephesus? He was the silversmith. What happened to Alexander the silversmith? He got upset because apostolic revival was ruining his business. Watch this, he couldn't see himself surviving and living without his idol factory. Somehow destiny for him had to include making gods. And because of that he suffered shipwreck. Maybe I maybe I maybe I don't. Maybe it's not clear you're not fighting for God's promises that he promised for your life and for your future, shipwreck is in your future. If you can't see yourself as a recipient of the favor, the blessing, the power, the anointing, the promises, then you're a derelict ship and you're headed for the rocks. Well, who's going to help me? You're going to help you. You're going to help you. You're going to dig down and tap into the fire. You're going to stir up the gift that is in you. You're going to shoot and guide the arrow with the promises that God has promised. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bed. Once I was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Praise God. Come on. Though my father or my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Hallelujah. It's for you and your children and to them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call And so I want us to stand and I want you to see the remains of broken lives that washed up upon destiny's shore. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing there will be when we all see Jesus. We will sing and shout the victory until he shows us the man or the woman we could have become. Like wreckage washed up on the shores of eternity. What's that? Oh, that's the entrepreneur you could have been. That's the kingdom giver that I wanted you to be. That's the church that you could have pastored, but, but you 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 just let go of the you let go of the rudder. You say I don't care as long as I'm saved. Well, I don't know, but I care. I care. I don't want to just make it. You know what the marriage, the marriage, marriage supper of the lamb is going to be the rewards of the faithful. Those that we think are going to have huge rewards may disappoint us. Those that seem like maybe they ain't going to get much of anything may be the ones highly honored. We don't know yet because each of us has our own set of circumstances that we navigate through that only God can sort out the truth when it comes to these things. But I know this. All of us should take the word of God and say, I won't. Give me something that will make me the best man, the best woman, the best husband, the best father, the best grandpa, the best preacher, the best Christian, the best soul winner I could possibly be. And then I'm going to shoot and say and pray and believe and strive.